Hello everyone, welcome back to Authentically Speaking. So today I'm going to be speaking with a very special guest who is going to be sharing her story about addiction, which I think is a topic that needs to be discussed uh, more frequently, in my opinion. Lindsay Jones is an author, a life coach. I met her last year. She is also a contributing editor for Elephant Journal. She's an amazing writer. She's been a mentor to me. We've been working very well together. She does a lot of workshops for us. She has taught the teacher training, teacher trainees at Suka um, all about the chakras. Um, she wrote a book about the chakras, the real life, no bullshit guide to chakras, which uh, you know why we connect so well, just because of that. The, um, I'm just kidding. There's so many other reasons why we connected, obviously, but I love that. So I'm going to read um, something from her book, and then I will introduce Lindsay. Let's go back for a moment. I met alcohol quite young. Booze was always around my life in the 80s. My dad drank beer always, beer, and when he drank, he was fun. He laughed, he joked, played music, and acknowledged us. He seemed happy. When it was the weekend and the party was was on, things were fun. When the party wasn't on, the beer wasn't flowing. Dad was not so nice. He was angry, and my mind told me that it was my fault. I thought he hated me. I thought it was a direct reflection of my worth. I thought the world revolved around me. I wasn't able to see the big picture, and I wouldn't see it for 33 years. Alcohol, for me, was attached to the ideas of glamour, fun, and being an adult. So naturally, when I got to try it for the first time, I loved it. I felt mature, capable, and good enough. It's just a little piece of the book. Her story is very interesting. We're going to be talking about how she healed and recovered from drug addiction, alcoholism, and cancer. Welcome everyone, Lindsay, to Authentically Speaking. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Authentically Speaking. Lindsay. Hello. Hi. Can hello, you hear hello. Me? Super. Yes. Okay. Super happy to be here. Um, you can hear me? Yeah, yep, I can hear you now. Wonderful. How are you doing? Great. Good, Just, good. you know, enjoying the spring transition. Yeah, you're in Florida, so you're extremely lucky. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had to suffer through a icy gray cold winter like <laughs> yeah it's still kind of chilly here but welcome to authentically speaking i'm so excited to to have you um before, me too yeah before you introduce yourself um thank you actually for everything that you have taught me because you have been such a positive influence on my life and you've really um taught me a lot as well as my teachers in training who loved um learning from you. So I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. It's an honor to even, you know, be a part of all of it. And teaching is my passion. So thank you you for saying that. Yeah. And you do it very well. You're an amazing teacher. And I feel like the best teachers are the ones, you you know, we learn from people who live through it, right? Not just from something, you know, out of a a textbook. So thank you. Um, Can you introduce yourself to everyone for us, please? Absolutely. So I'm Lindsay Caricardi Jones. I am a writer and coach and all around motivator, I like to think. You are. (laughs) I'm co-founder of 
Hug Your Chaos with my husband, Chris, and I've been just walking this journey over the last, well, really, it's my whole life journey, but the big shift kind of started happening about six years ago when I uh, came came kind of out of my darkness and my struggle, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today, and I, I started to understand that I had a lot more power than I realized in my life. So I started to make some really big shifts and that's what propelled me down this path to where I ended up now as a coach and a writer and a teacher. And, um, you know, someone who just kind of has this focus on helping humanity evolve, evolve mm-hmm. <laughs> in whatever capacity I can. Yeah. So it's only been six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Since I, uh, you know, had the, had the rude awakening and <laughs> crawled out of my, hole of struggle and darkness. Wow. And you met an amazing partner, husband, and you've healed in six years. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And Chris actually popped into the picture really early on, which was funny. And of course it was when I was not even considering even dating and (laughs) he's from Australia as, as you, I know, you know, and some of our listeners might know. And, uh, he, when I first met him on Facebook, I was like, yeah, cool. He's in Australia. I don't have to worry about this turning into anything. <laughs> and now look, <laughs> here we are married happily now ended up in Florida. And <laughs> wow. See, you never know. It's amazing. It's a crazy world. It really is. So I wanted to talk about um, addiction because I think that a lot of people out there have a hard time talking about it. Um, my father was an alcoholic, um, and my parents got divorced when I was young um, and he lost everything, including, you know, his entire family, including his kids. He's no longer with us, but um, in, I want to, I'm going to read something from your book fractured, which I absolutely love. Um, and this part brings tears to my eyes. Um, and then we'll get into, you'll know where I'm going from here, but I will never forget the Easter Sunday when I left my aunt and uncle's house under the lie that I was going to see an old friend. My parents made me take my little brother with me, thinking this would ensure that I was really going to the friend's house. They knew by this point what I was doing. I pleaded and lied, got the car keys, and instead I forced my brother to take me to Newark to get some dope. I then strolled into the little city housing projects in my Easter Sunday dress and heels, a white girl sticking out like a sore thumb in the hood, thinking herself invincible, excuse me, to score what I needed to get. I then proceeded to climb into the back seat and slam my dope while telling my brother not to look back at me, to just keep driving. It breaks my heart what I did to the people around me and to myself, but that's just what happens when we are stuck in the cycle. It's the insanity of living a fractured life. I was a prisoner of myself, and I don't know if there's a worse place to be than locked up inside of yourself. Addiction is an issue that there is so much to be learned about, and it can get people very fired up. There is a massive judgment, misunderstanding, and stigmatism attached to addiction. I am just sharing my experience with it. I claim no expertise but my own life from what I've come to understand about the spiritual nature of the root causes of my own addictions and struggles. <laughs> I'm just picturing you like, how old were you? First of all, I'm picturing this Gosh, white I girl. Think I was, yeah, I think I was about 20. Maybe I was 21. Wow. 
Yeah. And that, that was like the nature of my reality. And um, yeah, like going through kind of coming back around to, to what I've been through addiction was one of the biggest struggles that plagued me from like, gosh, by the time, like 15 to, to 33, when I, when I broke out of it, it was just up and down and all over the place. And um, it was all wrapped up in that, you know, just, just doing what I had to do and being so cut off from my own self, my own emotions, that it was literally like I had no power over myself. And I would do these things and I would take these actions and the whole time I would then spiral into the place of, you know, judging myself for them and beating myself up for it. And, and this is where it's interesting when I, when I kind of look at the way the world responds to drug addicts with the judgment and the shaming and the blaming. And that's the one thing someone who, and and I don't say any of this, um, you know, anytime I'm sharing my story, I, I definitely, people tend to think that as a drug addict, you want people to feel bad for you. And it's actually the total opposite that mm. myself and most of the people that I know, the last thing we want or need is someone pitying or feeling bad for us because we feel so badly about what we're doing, but it's like, you literally can't break yourself out of it. And so then you continue to perpetuate the cycle because you're in that much pain that you have no ability to deal with and you just do whatever you can to take away the pain. And that usually, you know, is the alcohol or the drugs or, you know, for some people it's food, shopping, gambling, sex, right. so many different ways that it, that it shows up for us. Now, do you, did you feel bad in that moment or is it? Yeah, in- in that moment, I, there was that voice in my head that's like, I can't even believe you're doing this. Like, what are you even doing? But the need to get on sick, because, you know, when you're addicted to heroin, there's the whole dope sick factor. And <laughs> that the need to fix, as we used to call it, um, just prevails any other rational thought. It is insanity. It's madness that you cannot logic or reason your way out of this behavior. And that's what confounds people about addiction because any rational, logical person looking at someone like me doing that in the backseat of the car, risking my brother's life, you know, going into the hood and, and copping drugs and then risking getting arrested. Just, it keeps going the amount of risks that, that I not only put myself in, but him in. And um, it confounds people when you're looking at it logically and rationally, because you can't, when I look back on it, like, I, I mean, part of me can understand because it was my experience, mm-hmm. but rationally, I can't look at my own behavior and be like, yeah, totally, that, that, that just, that, that makes sense. And that's why I think addiction just brings up so much stigma and, and tension with people because there's, it, it's very hard to explain. Yeah. Now, did you get busted that night by your parents? No, <laughs> they are, or I think, well, they, they kind of knew um, when, when we got back because I was no longer all crazy and jittery and, 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 you know, being sick and they could clearly tell that I was high. They just didn't know like where I went or where I got it from. And your brother didn't tell him. 
<laughs> you know, he, he the little brother, he was always really good at, because uh, we conditioned him when we were quite young. Don't be a tattletale. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now it's just it's honestly like it's when when I when I spend time with my brother now he um he loves to to tease me and uh he used to tell all my boyfriends like when I would start dating and stuff oh let me tell you about the time my sister did this to me oh no <laughs> so he loves to uh just give me crap about all of it now and and you know we have no there's no bad feelings and we've done a lot of healing as a family too what did, was he, he wasn't, um, did he have an addiction or no? No, no. he, he's been, been relatively, um, you know, stable most of his life. He had his period of time where he, you know, toyed around with alcohol and some other things in his early twenties. I think yeah. everybody kind of goes through the phase of experimentation of some things, right. but he was always able to just know I gotta, you know, I got a life and I gotta go to work and now he's married with a kid. So and your dad was a drinker? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was definitely um, alcohol. Uh, like, I, I mean, I guess, like, well, I would consider it alcoholic, um, whether or not he did, does is his own decision. But there was always a, a, a very palpable shift you could tell in my childhood growing up. Like, he was emotionally just not there, shut down, cranky, angry during the week, and then the weekends would roll around and that's when he could drink and have his fun. And the person he became when he was drinking was like this whole other person that, mm -hmm. Oh, now I want to be around you. You're fun. You're paying, paying attention to us. Yeah. And when the alcohol wasn't in the picture and it's funny because now I understand it. I'm, I'm, I'm just like him, the same emotional sort of programming and response to the world. So now I get it. But when I was a kid, I didn't have the understanding to, see that it had nothing to do with me. So I took a lot of that very personally, as we do when we're kids and there's an alcoholic parent. You think everything, you think you do everything wrong, right? Yeah. 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 And we, we internalize it as like, this must be some reflection of, of my worth. You don't want to be around me or, um, you know, when, when the violence or abusive, you know, type of behavior, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whatever it is, any kind of abuse that we you internalize that and even just not being there is a form of emotional abuse for children because right. we internalize that as abandonment yeah yeah now you're what was i going with oh i know what i was going to say i'm sorry excuse me i just had like a brain freeze for a second so back to happens like, to if, all of us when, yeah when people have a dick like i know a, a lot of people that the same thing like monday through friday until five o'clock on Friday, they're miserable. Like, yeah, they're grumpy. They don't talk. They, once they have a sip of that alcohol or whatever it is that they're, they're completely different people. Then they're happy. Is that, do you believe that that's a sign of addiction? You know, I, I, I do. And yeah. it's, I did do some 12 step program stuff early on in my recovery. And um, it definitely helped me, you know, I, I wouldn't, knock the program. I think it helps people in different, different capacities for whatever they might need and you can make whatever you want of it. Um, but one of the things that was one of the earliest teachings of the, the guys who founded the whole like 12 step thing was that um, that's what they like to call like a dry drunk. Like if there's just this discord and disharmony when there's no alcohol and it's very painful and life is like nails on a chalkboard, 
And I saw that in myself too, back when, um, before I was like full blown, mm-hmm. if I didn't have a substance in my system, I like, it was so painful for me to exist between my anxiety and my anger and my fear. And I had panic attacks and, you know, was just so hurting. And then I was masking that with anger that the moment I could get some substance into my system, it was like, Oh, relief. Wow. It is. It's a painful way to live. Yeah. (laughs) What was your rock? Did you have a rock bottom? Oh, several. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) The funny thing about rock bottoms is that you, you, you hit it and you can be at a rock bottom and that rock bottom can be it, but there's also always a trap door. If you want to keep pushing it, you can always go, go deeper. But, um, my last one, when, when I finally had the shift, um, I found myself in uh, Mammoth Lakes, California, and because uh, I was always a really big one for geographics. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a runner, and I like to change the environment, thinking that'll fix the problem. And then I would go somewhere new, and the problem is, is that I would be there. And so the problems would all start again because it was yeah. nothing external. It was all my internal stuff that was, that was creating my issues. And uh, I found myself out there, and I had basically burned my life to the ground again. I was getting evicted. So I was about to be homeless and um, I had lost my job. So I was starting to have to resort to, excuse me, crime again to sort of fund my habits. And at that point I was just shooting up so much, anything I could get my hands on that was even remotely opiate, whether that was painkillers, whether that was um, heroin and cocaine. So I was mixing them because like nothing was working. It didn't matter what I put in my body, nothing was working. And I would sit in there and I would think like, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die in this, this crappy, shitty apartment, excuse my French, that uh, I'm about to get evicted from. And nobody's going to know that I'm dead for like a week because I'm, I don't talk to anybody. Like this is who I've become. So you didn't have any friends, no family. Nope. I had burnt. Yeah. Cause my family was all back on the East coast. Did they know what was going on? uh, They had started to suspect by that time because I, I don't hide it well. Like (laughs) I go all in. And so once I'm like off the deep end, I'm off the deep end, which means, you know, I'm not on social media. I'm not answering phone calls. Um, And so I had had a friend come and visit me about six months before that. And when he went back to New Jersey, he kind of gave my brother the lowdown and, you know, kind of said, you know, this is going on with Lindsay. You guys should uh, be concerned. And it just perpetuated from there. So my mom knew, but then my mom also knew by that point that there was nothing she could do that uh, she had done her own work around not enabling. Mm-hmm. So she knew that when I got to the point, that's when I pick my head up and call. She wasn't going to drive herself crazy and, and, and spend her energy trying to control a situation she couldn't control. And that's honestly the best thing anybody can do for someone who's trapped in that is not try to save them. And I finally picked up the phone because I I was looking at my dogs and my dogs were the only two kind of living beings that would even be around me. And they were kind of what kept me going because bandit, my older one who was a rescue, I knew that if he ended up in the pound, that he would probably not get adopted being an older dog who has some social is- issues and being a pit bull mix. And I couldn't, 
I couldn't sit with that. I couldn't accept the fact that I was going to die and he would have to go to the pound and probably end up getting put down. And so that was actually the driving factor, believe it or wow. not, that made me pick up the phone, called my mom, and I was like, yeah, okay, I need to go to it. Because I had been trying for like two weeks to just stop. And I just kept finding myself back in it. it and it, like, I don't want to, I take full responsibility for my choices, but it's almost like I wasn't even controlling myself. Like I would have every intention when I woke up in the morning of not doing it again. And two hours later, I'd find myself, you know, meeting the man, picking up the stuff and, and at, by the end of the night, just wanting to die. And I was like, this can't go on. And that's when I agreed and I went down to Long Beach to go to a, a detox and, you know, removing myself from the situation for a week to be medic medically, um, you know, detoxified was what I had to do. And that was the best thing I could have done. Wow. Now, <laughs> was that the start of your healing process? That was it. And it was when I was sitting in that in that detox that one of the um, counselors, she brought a book in and it was uh, called um, Doing Time. And it was all about breath work. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And it was about this guy who I think in the, in the 70s and 80s, he was bringing breath work and yoga and meditation into prisons. And he worked with some really like big name, you know, death row prisoners and was teaching them this stuff. And they were healing and doing it. So I was like captivated by this book. I was like, oh, my God. I don't know. You, I don't know if you remember, like the son of Sam Killer in, oh. in New York in the seventies. So this was one of the guys that this guy worked with, and there was letters from him, and just like the shifts and the healing. And I'm like, in sitting in detox, feeling like I'm the worst human ever, <laughs> and I'm reading about all of these prisoners who were who were finding freedom through these breathwork techniques, and I was just, I was sold. I jumped right in. And it was in that process that like I, I surrendered this idea that I knew anything about life. And I, I finally became willing to let somebody else um, teach me and show me how to live. And I surrendered my ego. And I was like, I will do anything anybody tells me at this point. I just cannot go back to living the way that I've been living. Wow. And you became a yoga instructor. Yeah. And that because so that was the start of it because the breath work and getting back into yoga because yoga was something I had been into. And it's interesting up and down through my battles when I would do yoga, it was like the only time I would feel peace. And I didn't fully understand yoga yet back then. Right. <laughs> so I would go to yoga and I was like, Oh, this is like, this is amazing. Like this is what I'm looking for. But then I didn't understand how to maintain that feeling of connection and peace that I would get on the mat. And so eventually all of my chaos would creep back in. So that was one of the first things I got back into as I started rebuilding my life was like, I have to do yoga. And I fully embraced it and I fully started meditating and I started learning anything and everything that I could. And two of my big early teachers were Pema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh, both Buddhist teachers and monks who, as I was reading them and they were talking about the emotional dysfunction we all have as human beings. And I was like, oh, they're describing me. <laughs> Buddhist monks know what it's like to be a <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Okay, there's something to this. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I kept following that path and, and just the observation that I was able to create of, of connect to 
of myself during yoga and meditation was the biggest shifter of me, you know, changing how I was living. Wow. It, it's life changing. It really is. A lot of people, when I say that, people are like, yeah, right. I, mean, I it know. Is. It is. It <laughs> really, it's, it's such a life changing practice. I'm, I'm glad to see that it's changed your life, obviously, for, for the better. Does Chris practices or no? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's yeah, we thought. both do. And it's been, oh, yeah, I don't, duh. I don't, You've been to the studio, I... but he's not certified. Is he a teacher? No, he actually, okay. it's funny enough because one of his journeys is, uh, is, is uh, learning to finish things he started. And he went to Fiji to do his yoga teacher training and he left halfway through because he, he was like, this isn't for me and he quit. But now we're going to go back and do like our 500 hour ones together and stuff. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Now, what advice would you give to anyone who is struggling with any kind of, any kind of addiction? The biggest thing I think is, is to just like open up and get honest about it because anytime that there's addiction, the counterpart to addiction is shame. And so the people around us who want to help, we, when you're locked in addiction, you're also so afraid that the moment you admit it, you're just going to get judged because that shame voice has you believing that you're horrible for what you're doing and that everybody's gonna judge you and shun you and reject you and cast you out. And it's just not true. So the, the, the biggest advice I would be is to not listen to what your own head is telling you and just fess up to somebody, find somebody because the moment you put it out there, it starts to lose so much of its power. Wow. Now when you admitted yourself into the, um, in Long Beach, right? When, yeah. Okay. The detox. Okay. So if there was, is, do you think that's easier? That's harder to do is to check yourself in than telling somebody, correct? What, I think, think, well, cause it's like the same, right? You, you have this mindset of like, oh, well, if I check myself in, everybody's going to know and I'm somehow admitting I failed. And <laughs> but how would like, they know? You know, right. especially oh, well, if you're if all alone, right? Like, right, right. Yeah. If you kept it a secret, you could totally go and do it. But you also have this mindset, oh, by checking myself in, I'm admitting defeat. And the craziest thing about most people that struggle with addiction and alcoholism and all of these things is that we're actually quite, um, you know, intelligent, strong-willed and resourceful. And society usually looks, oh, you're so weak and, you know, this and that, but it's really like the addiction is like a manifestation of just fighting and rejecting yourself. And so the moment you can admit to yourself that there's a problem. And I mean, because if you think about it, admitting to somebody else that there's a problem is just a reflection of not wanting to admit it to yourself. Right. And a lot of that is fueled by fear. Yeah. So and if you can accept, step. yeah, that the fear is not real and then what you're telling yourself is going to happen. won't. It all starts to shift. Yeah. To me, your story. I mean, I will definitely, and I, we need to do like a part two, because I do want to talk about um, cancer. And that too. Yeah. Cause it's like a whole nother bag. And you it's, know, it's so, yeah. I mean, your life and you're so young, like you're young. How old are you? If you don't mind sharing. I'm going to be 40 this year. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what month? In May, May 12th. I'm a tourist. Wait, of this year? 
Yeah. Dude, we got to freaking have a party. <laughs> I know, right? Let's go somewhere tropical and have a party. Oh God, you know what? I, you're right by my mom. So um, if Chris has anything, he better keep me in mind because I'll, I'll get there. It's not that far. Come um, on down. I know. I would love to. But thank you so much for sharing. I mean, like I said, we can, and your books, I want you to, if you could tell everyone how to find you on social media and the name of both of your books, I'll go over that in my intro, but if you could just tell everyone how to find you and what you do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So my books are, I have two books out. The first one is called Fractured and it's an energetic guide to healing from depression, addiction, and illness through energy work. And that really focuses a lot on my story and the energetic, um, you know, imbalances that really fueled my addiction and my depression and even my cancer and my chronic pain. And then my second book is The Chakras, A Real Life, No Bullshit Guide to Healing Your Life. And that's more of a guidebook to anybody wanting to start to explore chakra work. And it, it's like an introductory, very down to earth, real life approach to bringing energy work into your world. Awesome. And as far as social media, um, and both of those books are available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all over Facebook and Instagram. Um, on Instagram, you can find me at Divine Rebel Rising. And on Facebook, Lindsay Caracardi Jones. I also have a fan page. That's Lindsay Caracardi Jones, Divine Rebel Rising. And also the, the Hug Your Chaos Facebook page as well. Awesome. Awesome. awesome and I, awesome. I actually right now, too, have a... Um, I have a, a law of attraction guide that I'm offering. I have a, a mini video class. So if anybody wanted to go and claim that and join my email list, they can go to radicalenergeticreset.com. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And sign up for the email list. And in exchange, you get a, a mini class and a PDF guide on the law of attraction. Oh, that's wonderful. Yay. So many things. You do, you do a little bit of everything. I love that. I try. Yeah. I, just, a- I really believe, you know, energy, energy work is, is the way I'm really meant to help people. And so that's where a lot of my coaching is focused on. I have online courses and I do coaching and teaching as well okay. in a lot of different ways, just depending on what anybody's looking for. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're the I mean, best. It's a complete honor to be here with oh, you. Oh, thank you, my friend. Tell Chris I said hello, and we will chat soon again, I am sure. Have a great day, and I will talk to you before the big 4-0, that's for sure. Yes, I definitely hope so. All right, good. I'll talk to, to you soon. This. Thanks, Thank darling. you. All I right. love to you, too. Oh, bye. Bye.